Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I remember seeing on NFL Films, and it was later in the year, Ray Lewis coming up to you and he was saying, hey, young lion, we only going to go as far as you're going to take us. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, hearing that mm-hmm. you said it really wasn't any pressure because you you were supported around with so many veterans in that locker room: mm-hmm. Tony Saragusa, Ray, um, Rod, Chris, Rod Woodson, Chris yeah. McAllister was there yeah. uh, previously from a few years. So, like to hear him say that, like how did that empower you? Let's go behind the mask. Two man, it's good to be back. In the behind the mask studios, right, man. We 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 got another special guest, um, one of our all time favorites, straight out of Atlanta, Georgia, a product of Doug High School. Man, let's give it up for my man, Jamal Lewis, <laughs> Super Bowl <laughs> champion, Jamal Lewis. Jay Lou in the building. Glad to be here. Glad Class to be here. 2000. Glad to be here with my old pals, yeah, my old workout homies. <laughs> the workout homies, man. So, so what's up, Jay? What, what you been up to, bro? Everything been good with you? Everything been good, man. Just staying busy. That's about it. Trying to stay in the light, you know, with the Ravens and traveling a little bit. Depressed about my Vols, but we we, we still living. Listen, and uh, just just getting around, man. Just trying to stay busy. That's about it. If you depressed about your vols, I'm depressed about my rebels. So we in the <laughs> same boat, bro. Hey, it happens, right? You, you know, you go through go through a drought sometimes. Hey, you should be depressed about those uh, the vols, though. Oh, it's, yeah. it's been a minute. Like consistency. Let's talk about that, man. Like what's going on with Tennessee? Because I remember back in the day. Now, like, oh, I was man. this close to going to Tennessee. You should have. I probably should have. We would have had a dope team. I would have won the national championship. Yeah. But, but we ain't going to turn back the hands. But, what, like, what you see, what's going on with Coach Jeremy Pruitt, head coach, right? Man, I, I just think, you know, recruiting. Recruiting plays a major part in, in, in college football, right? And yeah. It just shows that since uh, Kiffin at the time and them letting Fulmer go, that was years ago, and we've just suffered ever since between probably two or three coaches since then. And we just lack lack recruiting, man. So we got we got to build it back up. But I think that Pruitt, I think he got it. I think T. Martin's back down there. Uh, he's revamping that coaching staff to get some real re- recruiters on board. You know, you know yeah. how, how how Coach G used to be. You know, getting out there, bringing in all the talent from 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 all the, the football states and bringing them in. I think that's what uh, that's what we got to get back to. I think that's what we're suffering. That's why we're suffering right now. I think one of the dopest things about Tennessee, and I, and I tell everybody, I, I, I grew up in New York, um, loved football as a kid, came down to Georgia briefly. I don't think you knew this. I came down to Georgia briefly, um, lived here for three months, but every Saturday I would watch Jefferson Pilot Sports, yeah. right? And I would see the games coming on. I would see Tennessee with the checkered uh, end zone. I would, You know what I'm saying? Peyton mm-hmm. was doing this thing back then. So what what will it take to get back to that 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 time where – Tennessee was really on. It was Tennessee and Florida. That was SEC. It wasn't even Bama. It wasn't Auburn back then. It was Tennessee and Florida. Yeah. So what would it take for for you guys to get back there aside from recruiting? Uh, outside of recruiting, I think because you got to bring the talent in, you know. And I think they started by bringing Pruitt in. Mm. I think Pruitt he teaches coaches how to coach. He teaches the players how to get it and and bringing in the right players. But uh, the history is there. The fans are there. Everything's there, man. I think it's just. 
just just getting the players to understand the history, mm. uh, what we came from, the dynamics of being a great organization and a great football team. And I think, you know, beating South Carolina the other day, uh, I really like that because I think it showed these guys what it feel like to really to win mm-hmm. and go out and actually not just win, but actually dominate mm-hmm. and win. So, you know, sometimes that, that, that light bulb will click and you start playing like that. And I mm-hmm. think it's more of believing that they can go out and do it because I can't say they don't have talent. Right. It's just the talent believing that they can go do it, you know? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of people, you know, they know about the Super Bowl and we go way back. And I just took time, and I was like, man, you know what? Let me just go check it out and just see overall, like, all the accomplishments that you've done. I'm actually going to back going all the way back you leaving high school. But, you know, Super Bowl champion, mm. you know, NFL rushing yards leader in 2003, monster year, part of the NFL decade team from the all-2000s, SEC freshman of the year. Uh, actually won, you won the uh, national title your second year in college. Mm-hmm. Um, bro, like, you accomplished <laughs> a lot. And this is the thing that me and two was talking about. Everywhere you showed up, you showed out. In- including the first year. The first year in Tennessee. I don't even know if you know this. You had over 1,300 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. Your first year as a rookie in Baltimore. You had over 1,300 yards rushing. And then your first year in Cleveland, you had over 1,300 yards rushing. Mm -hmm. So, like, when we see the finished product and we see who you are, everybody know you was a bruiser. And I'm going to go into that later. But, like, what do you accredit all of that to, though? Like, being able to not only be sustainable for so long, but at an early age just continue to have success. What drove you? Um, I think it's decision making, man. Um, I I was one of those kids that when I made my mind up to do something, I, I just I, I I went a hundred miles an hour to go make it happen and to do it. And um, you know the the the, the high school I went to that was a decision because I wasn't going to go there, right? Um, the college, same way, everything was about a business decision on basically. When you go in here, what's the opportunity going to be? Are you going to get the opportunity? And going into Tennessee, I knew I was going to get an opportunity to play yeah. or to at least compete, right? Uh, Peyton was staying as well, so I kind of knew that he would take the attention um, and I could just go in and do what I needed to do. Uh, going into the Ravens, the same thing. I had no control over that, but at the same time, um, I knew I could go in and compete because I was the fifth pick in the draft, so you're going to get a chance to compete, right? Uh, and then going to Cleveland, same thing. Uh, Phil Savage was there who was with the Ravens, and I knew that, you know, they didn't have, you know, a good running back and this, that, and the other at the time. I was going to be able to go in and compete and do my thing, and they was going to let me run it. But, man, just hard work, man. Just going in, working hard, putting your mind to it, sacrificing uh, dedicating yourself to the process and just doing that, dude, everything just kind of fell into place, I must say, you know, but at the same time, just being able to go in and be a professional and just kind of know it's not just about, you know, right then, it's basically what are you building up for uh, for for the future versus just right then, you know? Right. Um, yeah, so that's, that's what I credit it to, honestly, man, just 
decision making and, and and a little bit of a little bit of luck, you know, and being able to go in and be around some veteran players, you know, be around some veteran players, some good defenses in college, good defenses in, in the pros and being able to go in and just do my job consistently and do what I like to do. And that's, hey, just go, you know. Yeah, you talked about being around veterans in the locker room and uh, your first year in Tennessee, Peyton Manning, he was your quarterback. He could have easily left and been the number one quarterback in the draft the previous year, but he decided to stay. Uh, what was that experience like when you walked into the locker room, even the first time in the huddle, uh, from what you saw of the Peyton Manning? So I got, I got two stories about Peyton. So I can remember in in camp, you know, we had real camp, you know, two-a-day camps, yeah. right, mm-hmm. for two weeks Actually, straight. three-a-days. Yeah, right. That middle practice, that special team practice was <laughs> full practice, too. Yeah, and it was, you know, I, I, I can remember being in my room one day, right, and I got a knock at the door, and I looked out the window because, you know, the older guys prank you or play jokes. So it was uh, it was Peyton. And I'm like, what he, I'm like, man, what do he want? You know, so I opened the door <laughs> and he had he had about he had like five sheets of paper in his hand, right? And he was like, What you doing in here? I was like, nothing, just just chilling. And he was like, uh, he said, sit down, you know, sit down on the bed. I sat down and he said, You wanna play? And I said, Yeah, I wanna play. He said, Well, in order to play, you gotta protect me, right? And I was like, Cool. That's, you know, and then he had these five sheets of paper. Yep. And he had drawn out all of the protections that I needed to know. He mm-hmm. said, these are the protections that you need to know in order to get in. And he told me, he said, look, if you can learn these 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 protections, he said, I promise you'll be playing by the fourth game of the, of the season. And I was like, cool. You know, I was like, you know, so, but long story short, I ended up playing the fourth game of the season, which mm-hmm. was which was after Florida week, right? Yep. Um, but even before that, I can remember Coach Cutcliffe, Mm-hmm. Coming to me in practice after um, it was after um, one of our practices early on, and he just came in was brutally honest. He said, "You can't, you can't play for me," and I was like, uh-huh. "Why?" He said, "Because you don't practice like you want to play," and I was like, "You know, I'm a gamer. You know, <laughs> like, I just, I'm like, you I'm a gamer. Me, I'm like, yeah. the coach, man, yeah. I'm, I'm a like, gamer. Really? I'm a gamer. Yeah, he's like, he's like, he said, look, he said, this is what I want you to do. He said, tomorrow when you come out to practice." He said, look at number 16 practice. Mm. And I did that. And it honestly changed my whole outlook, you know, on the game from a practice standpoint because every play, every snap, he was dropping back just like it was in the game. Everything was crisp. If he messed up something, whatever, it it was like he was passionate about it. And ever since that day, it was like, hey, look, when I got a snap, when I was in practice, when I was in the walkthrough, whatever it was, I was full speed, you know, and uh, and 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 it taught me a lot. And uh, I, I credit Coach Cutcliffe for that, and he's a great coach for that. But that's how I lived every day of my career, you know. After that, yeah. Shout out to Coach Cut. Uh, had a brief stint with him at at Ole Miss. Everything you said is a hundred percent accurate. Let me ask you this, though. You had, as Takeo alluded to, you had all the success in high school, right? College, Cozy Coleman went to the league. Mm-hmm. Leonard Little went to the league. Of course, mm-hmm. Peyton Manning went to the league. Peerless Price went to the league. Travis Stevens went to the league. Raynock Thompson went to the league. Al Wilson went to the league. Deion Grant. Deion Grant went to the league. Did you ever get spoiled with all of this talent? 
oh, yeah. <laughs> on your team. Like, I mean, it had to make it just easy for you to just almost like plug and play, do your job because you know everyone else around you. Yeah. Chad Clifton, everyone else around you, you had lead talent all over. Yeah, but that's when you know what kind of program you're in, right? Yeah. You know, because I didn't know it. You know, just coming in from, from Atlanta, you know, just coming in and you see dudes driving around in, in nice SUVs and this, that, and the other, and you're like, who is that? Oh, that's, that's Joey Kent. He just he just got drafted, you know. <laughs> this guy, he just got drafted. I'm like, dang, that's how it is. So then my, my freshman year, you had Leonard Little mm-hmm. and all these dudes that, you know, they driving around in Navigators and all this stuff. And I'm like, Navigators I'm like, just yeah. came out. They I'm like, hold on. I'm like, oh, I caught me one yeah, of them. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, that's how it is, you know, or whatever, right? And uh, and I was just like, man, you know, I can, like, this is, it was just like a recycle, everything's recycled, right? Yeah. And that's what I say about recruiting. When you got good players and good organization, it just happens. You don't have to worry about getting a five-star recruit or a four-star recruit, or, you know, you're going to have dudes getting drafted in the first round every year. Right. Like, I can remember going to the draft, going to the uh, combine, and I didn't do anything at the combine. I think I lift at the combine, but... Yeah, you was chill more, I remember. Yeah, I went to the combine, and I was like, um, and, and and one of the guys, he was like, hey, so you're going to run? You're going to do everything? I said, no, nah, I'm just I'm just going to lift, you know, and that's it. He was like, really? I said, uh, yeah, I said, um, well, he said, well, you know, every scout and every, every mm-hmm. coach is going to be here, you know, mm-hmm. to see you. And I told him, I said, I went to the University of Tennessee. I said, every coach going to be there, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plain and simple. Mm-hmm. Every coach going to be there, bad. too. But guess what? It was it was the truth because, like you said, we had the Cozy Coleman's. And the year I came out, we had five guys yeah. to go yeah. in the first two yeah. rounds, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think probably two or three went in the first round. But but you, you got guys that's going to go, you know. So, um, But it was, like you said, you do get spoiled. And you think that, okay, when you go to the pros, it's going to be just like that or whatever. But um, I was lucky. But then it transcended to the league because as soon as you got in the league, you got a Super Bowl ring, man. Yeah, exactly. So, so like, how did you stay focused with all, all this man, success? Man? Honestly, I was just like, you know what? I had some good veterans. That's why I said I had some yeah. good veterans around me. Um, you know, you go in with the Ray Lewis's and Sarah Goosa. And, mm. and, and uh, I used to work out with, 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 with – um, with Shannon Sharp when I was in college. So I've been working out with Shannon for the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. Every time I came home, I went out to Grady Stadium and mm-hmm. was running and running mm-hmm. with him. Um, and then he ended up being at the Ravens. But being around all these guys, it's like you just listen. And you just listen to them talk and the different things that they were saying, you know, or whatever. But, you know, even even Spikes, you know what I mean? Like when I came home, man, Spikes, you just send me, send me his shoes <laughs> hey, look, they was white. I used to paint them black. And, and the coach used to get mad with me at Tennessee because yeah. we was wearing Adidas. But I'm like, I'm wearing these. My boy Spikes. Yeah, yeah. them Nikes. I had my boy laced up. I used to be, I, had, I spray painted them and everything. Yeah. Spray yeah. painted them black. Oh, but, uh, but yeah, you know, just, you know, having guys like that around you, you know, you can have guys that are professionals and, and these guys around you. But if you don't take time to listen and take in what they're saying and what they're talking about, then it's a waste, you know. Yeah, and your first year when you went to Baltimore, I knew what they were getting. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like I've been knowing been, you since high school, yeah. watching. Knew of him at the time when we actually met. But, man, you came in and rushed for over 1,300 yards. But the, the kicker is, is that 
you know, you had a great defense. That Baltimore yeah, defense yeah. in the two thousands goes down as one of the the, the best, best defenses yeah. of all time. Yeah, uh, Brian Billick was the head coach. Talk about how important it was at that time because when we look at football now, it's a passing league. Mm-hmm. Now Brian Billick he took pride in being a gr- an aggressive football team. And you look at the I formation versus just aligning up and just going 13 personnel yeah. or, I'm sorry, 11 personnel. Talk about, like, how that fitted into who you were or who who yeah, who yeah you were at that time as far as a bruiser. You loved to run the football and you, and you wanted it every play. So, so, Billick was the, they called Billick the offensive guru, you know, after he came in from Minnesota. Because mm. he had Culpepper, he had... Uh, uh, Jake Reed, he mm-hmm. had uh, um, um, Randy Moss, Randy Moss, yeah. and and, um, and uh, the other Hall of Fame, Chris Carter. Chris Carter. Mm-hmm. He had all these guys, and he was the offensive guru, right? But we didn't have that kind of personnel, right? But he wanted it. He wanted to throw it, and, and boy, he was throwing it. He was letting it go. He was letting it loose. But it came a time during that season when we didn't score a point, or we didn't score a touchdown mm-hmm. in like maybe five games or something. And um, all of a sudden, he did something that a lot of coaches won't do. He went back and looked at everything and said, you know what? You know, and I think Ray and a lot of the guys went up to him and said, look, we got a great defense, and we can run the ball. Like, hand the ball off and, and, and throw it to Shannon Sharp and pick your, pick your, pick, take your chances downfield when you can. Mm-hmm. And he did that. And then that's when we kind of went on that roll and started winning games, you know, and started winning, repeatedly winning. And our defense stayed pumped because they kept getting us the ball back and we kept moving the chains and we couldn't score that many points, but we could kick field goals and we could do that. And they could, they would actually tell us, Hey, look this week, you know, this week, just give us 14 points. They would would tell us, Hey, look, just give us, we only need about 10 points from y'all. That's it. And you know what? We'll give them just what they ask for. <laughs> <laughs> we will give them just what they ask for. But but it was a special time of the year, man. And 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 me and Ray and we used to, we used to run every Thursday, Friday. You know, get out. And it got to a point where around close to the end of the season, yeah, we looked at each other and we was like, "Hey, I don't see us getting beat." Hmm. And I was like, "Me either." And it was you know it was like everybody bought into that, you know. And and we went on that went, went on that run, and it was tough, but we went on that run, and you know it was just like I, I just I just need to do my thing, you know. And growing up, I didn't watch football. I didn't, you know, I just I just played the game, had fun doing it, you know. And I'm just happy. I was just happy to be there. You know what I mean? Like I'm here, and I'm gonna do my thing, you know. Right. Like I'm from Adamsville. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but. I'm on the stage, you know, and I'm going to take advantage of it and, and I'm going to run it and get downhill and do what I do. And um, and and, it, it, and I think just my style of running fit with Baltimore at the time, and it was just one of them times. It was a special, you know, Eddie George in the league, yeah. Fred Taylor. Mm-hmm. You got the big backs, you Corey know. Corey Dillon. Corey Dillon. Jerome Bettis. Yeah, that's why going to the Pro Bowl was hard for me in the AFC because you had I had to compete with all these guys you for know? so long. Exactly. Yep. So when you 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 know we, you brought up a good point about Billick, but I remember seeing on NFL Films, and it was later in the year, Ray Lewis coming up to you and he was saying, "Hey, young lion, we only gonna go as far as you gonna take us." Yeah. 
Yeah. Like so, hearing that mm-hmm. you said it really wasn't any pressure because you you were supported around with so many veterans in that locker room: mm-hmm. Tony Saragusa, Ray, um, Rod Chris, Rod Woodson, Chris yeah. McAllister was there yeah. uh, previously from a few years. So, like to hear him say that, like how did that empower you? You know, it was like you know this this dude is is one of the he's one of the greats. You know, and at that time, he had led the league in rushing, I think. I mean, not in rushing, in, in, in tackles, you know, consistently. Mm-hmm. And he was that guy. And um, when we used to sit and talk, you know, and just have our own conversations, uh, you know, he just used to say, look, man, I'm feeding off you and you feeding off me. So when I was on the field, he was over there on the sideline watching and, and rooting me on. When they was on the field, I was doing the same thing. And it was just like, we just fed off each other, you know, mm-hmm. and that was a dynamic that we had, man. That was just it was special, and we we fed off each other, you know. So, I always ask the players that have had success that come on on the Behind the Mask podcast, how did you stay focused, man? You was in B more, and again had all the success, Super Bowls, etc. Right down the street from Chocolate City, in the A. We know how it was. We, we talked to everybody about how BMF was running the city back then. We always doing our thing. How did you stay focused to continue your level of success for so long in the league? Well, um, just for so long, I think, man, it was just being me and not trying to be somebody that I wasn't yeah. and not trying to be who everybody else really wanted me to be. Um, and, and that was, hey, going out, working out, and dedicating myself to it. And sacrificing, man, just sacrificing family, sacrificing certain things that, you know, like, you know, that was might be more important to others. Yeah. But my, my my I had a goal, you know, and where I wanted to be. I wanted to play 10 years in the league. I wanted to be one of the best uh, at my position, you know. So in order to do that, you know, you got to be doing something and 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 really doing what your 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 competitors and, and what they're not, you mm. know, what they're not doing. And that's why I trained so hard in the yeah. offseason. Um, I, I didn't take trips. I didn't take, you know, I didn't have to go out of the country and go do all that because – He did. I know. <laughs> but my, my whole thing was, you know what, this, this is short. Yeah. You know, it's short. I retired when I was 30 years old. Mm. So it's like I got I got all the time to go do – that Facts, but Facts, Facts. I wanted to be the best at what I could do and I think that's kind of how I stayed focused and I had you know I had some trials and tribulations and mm-hmm. things that happened or whatever and and it was like hey look you know like things happen adversity happens how are you gonna get through it mm-hmm. you know and God put you in certain positions for a reason um so it's not for you to be to harp on them it's for you to learn from them and and what are you gonna do to come out of them and what was the purpose of this you know whatever so so a lot of people see it as focus yeah. or whatever, but you know, hey, I, I just like I said, I just was 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 being me and um and just happy to be in the position that I was in and just worked hard, you right. know. But even with all of that, man, like again, Spice alluded to it earlier, thirteen hundred yards off the rip. In 03, 2,000 yards rushing that's mm. that you you wanted to, that that feat alone is, is only a handful of running backs that have ever done that in the league yeah what made that particular season your particular year different from any other to get to that feat of rushing over 2,000 yards 
So if, if 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 Instagram and and all of that <laughs> was in, yeah. what people would have saw is that it wasn't you know it wasn't September, you know through December that made the two thousand yards happen. It was it was January mm. to June July right, mm. and that's when we was training yeah. right. You know that's when we was training. That's when it was, you know, hey look. You know, we was we was on the line at nine a.m. Yeah, which you know we was on the line at nine a.m. and we held each other accountable, even though we was on different teams. Mm-hmm. Like we held each other accountable, you know, because mm-hmm. we know that hey, look, I saw you last night. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who I was saw some of, you last yeah, night. Hey, just for hey. all listeners though, like who were some of the guys like? You go out together. We on train together. Who we held accountable to each other. Yeah, it was it was Wayne Gandy, of course, because he was the big, big <laughs> Uncle big Wayne. And then you had uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Hines. Hines was there. Yep. Um, you had what? What Frank Frank Walker came through there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Frank, you had OC OC OC, of course. Um, uh, who else, man? We had uh, we used to have about yeah, about Deshae twenty Townsend. Yeah, Deshae. Mm-hmm. Um, you had we had about twenty some guys, yeah. or more that was just. Out there, and we all lived in Atlanta, and we hung together, we worked out together, and we we drove each other, and we went and competed against each other out there working out. But at the same time, we knew we was going to compete against each other on the field as well. But it was, you know, honestly, it was just one of those things where, man, we 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 worked each other, and I know for me, I wanted to get two thousand yards, and mm. and when I when I saw it, honestly, it wasn't even two thousand yards. It was being able to go break Corey Dillon's record because I saw him get 274, and I said, I know I can get that. And that's how I trained, and that's what I beat into my head every time we trained, you know? At what point, like, 295 yards is a lot of damn yards. That really means, like, I'm going to start off on the (laughs) one-yard line, and we're going to allow this back to run 99 yards, come back and run another 100, and damn near run – Another 100. Anytime we yeah. get the ball, we running the ball. Yeah. So my thing is, man, you was a running fool. <laughs> so at what point throughout the game to where you knew, I'm going to break Corey Dillon's record? So like I said, like I watched him break that record. And, I, and I, what I noticed was a bunch of – he had a few big runs. The chunk yardage runs, right? You got, you got to have the you got to have the big runs early too. And – when I started that game, I had an 88 yard run um, on the first or second carry. I had an 88 something yard run, and then came back behind that. You think 88 yards? Shoot, you know we're going to be over 100 real soon. So then I came out, and then I think I, I had another one, and just so happened, you knew Andre Davis. So Andre, me and Andre had talked the night, the night, like the night before, or a few nights before. He called me. He said, "Man, I see Coach say gonna get you know you gonna get the ball thirty times." He said, "I hope you get the ball thirty times." Oh, he why said, that Andre mean, had to he say that. Mean I'm gonna have thirty tackles. <laughs> I said, "Man, I said if he, I said if I get the ball over thirty times, I said I'm gonna have a career day." And we was just talking noise. Yeah, going back. But but at the same time, at halftime, I think I had 180 some yards. And and going in, we was we was going in the tunnel, and uh, Jo came to me and he said, "Man, he said you, you got 180 yards." He said, "Hell, we should just go for the record." 
I said, well, let's do it then. I said, that's on you. Don't you know, that's on y'all. You know, let the people know who J.O. is. Jonathan Ogden. Hall, Hall, Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame, yeah. I said, that's on y'all. You know, <laughs> you got to get with your boys and, and look, we, let's go do it, you know. And, um, and, and obviously, it takes a lot to do that, right? You know, our quarterback did go down in the first game. You know, Kyle, Bank. Kyle Bowler. No, Kyle Bowler. Kyle Bowler went down in the first game. Yeah. So we had Anthony Wright. Mm. So so I was going to get the ball. <laughs> you know what I mean? So therefore, everything kind of went in my favor anyway. But um, but at the same time, I just we just knew it. And then it was like, you know, I always watch. You watch Jordan when he go, when he went into a zone. Mm. And I always just wondered how it felt to like just go into that zone, you know. So you saying you touched the zone, and I went, day. I went in that zone, and it was like every time we touched the rock, every time it was like everything just just went, you know, the outside zone. We were stretching it, cutting it back, you know, everything just hitting it downhill. Everything was just working, you know. The blockers was everything was queuing up. Everything's working in our favor, and I just had to finish it, and I had the speed to basically, you know, to hit the home run and get out there. So. That's that's what we did, you know, and it's just hey, it was just one of them things, and then we end up breaking it, and then going over more, you know. So, but it was kind of like that. It was hey, I had about three or four big runs, and that's what added up. And you had the smaller ones, you know, and then there there it went, you know. So, what was the celebration like after you broke that record? I know in the locker room you already got the game ball and all of that. I'm pretty sure. And then. What did y'all do after that? Because that's how I, like, I, like I like to, when we go behind the mask, we talk about all the I'm going to tell you the man. truth. Like You, you didn't kick it, man? Dude, let me tell you something. I was, Oxygen tank? Dude, yeah, yeah. <laughs> had to do that. Had to do that. But I was so, like, I got on the phone, called my dad, because he wasn't there, because he too cheap to try to get a flight or even ask for a flight. So I called my dad, and I said, man, we did it today, huh? And he was like, hell, boy, you did, you know, whatever. But... It was one of them times, man, I was just like, man, we like we did it. But I was in awe, really, the whole time. So, honestly, man, I just went to a, a, a Fells Point, which is in Baltimore, and went to this went to this bar. It was called The Horse You Came In On. <laughs> <laughs> what? Hey, look, it was called The Horse You Came In On. <laughs> and honestly, dude, I sat there, man, and just had some drinks. And just me and one of my boys, and that and that was it. Because it was late. It was late. You know, stuff wasn't open. But I went and sat there, man, and just soaked it all in. But the the best part about it was uh, the next morning getting a call, and it was a number I didn't know. And I answered it, and he was like, Jamal? I was like. David Baker. I was like, who is this? It was R. Modell, okay, mm. the owner of the team. Mm. And he was like, he said, Yesterday, that was very impressive. And he was like, uh, I haven't seen a performance like that since Jim Brown. Mm. And I was like, oh. That's, that's major. Art Modell, he was the, the owner of the Browns when Jim Brown Browns. was there, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he owned the Browns, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, he was a great owner and everything. And I, I still got his phone number in my phone. That's and he, You know, he's passed away. But, um, but it was good family. But that was the best part about it, man, you know, just getting a call from the owner. And saying what he said, you know, and being compared to Jim Brown, you know, that was that was awesome. No, that's huge. Yeah, that's a huge accomplishment. And you know, we talked about that year. Two thousand three was amazing. Um, NFL Offensive Player of the Year. And then you fast forward to two thousand four, towards the end of the year, 
um, you got into some trouble, uh, yeah. conspiracy charge, mm -hmm. uh, with the attempt to organize uh, drug sale. Mm -hmm. So uh, going through all the litigation, you had to serve four months in prison. Mm -hmm. uh, take us through what that was like from being the previous year, mm -hmm. you were on top of the world. Mm -hmm. And now, a year later, you sitting behind bars and just going through that emotional roller coaster. I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna take it back back. Cause see, that's what everybody else saw, that part of it, mm -hmm. right? Everybody else saw 2003. And honestly, you said 2004, but 2003, and I was going to the well, I was went to the Pro Bowl, mm -hmm. right? Two weeks after the Pro Bowl is when I got that call. So I didn't ran for 2,000 yards, did all the stuff, got endorsements. I'm talking about that I'm just waiting to ink, you know, and I'm like, and next going to be a contract. And then all of a sudden, I get a call. So I'm, 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 I'm going to break it back, back, back. So first of all, before I even got drafted, all of this started happening. Mm before I got drafted in 2000, mm -hmm. right? And honestly, it was just... So coming out of college. Coming out of college. And honestly, I got a, I was in a, I was at the rookie premiere, and I got a call, and it was my, with my marketing guy, and he said, hey, I got this girl that knows Michael Vick, and he want to talk about leaving school early. So I was like, cool. I was like, you know, just give her my number. So I start, I talked to her, and... She was talking about Vic and her and Vic, you know, her mom was cool, his mom was cool and all the stuff, whatever. So I was like, cool, you know, whatever. So when I got back to Atlanta, I hooked up with her. We talked and met or whatever. And, um, and, and next thing you know, you know, she started talking about drugs. And I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't know, what, I don't know nothing about that, whatever. Um, but she was a rambler and it kind of made me kind of suspicious of her at the time. So... What happened was when I went to me and my buddy, which is my co-defendant now, we went and met at a restaurant. We met at a restaurant because uh, we was going out that yeah. night. And she called me and she said, hey, where you at? And I was like, me and me and my boy, you know, we up here at, uh, at Houston's. I said, stop by, you know, whatever. Grab something to eat or drink or whatever. So she did that. Now, that meeting right there, which wasn't really a meeting, that was the nucleus of everything that happened in 2004. Right? It was it was of everything that happened, and I had went and started training in in, in Tennessee, and then I was in uh, Florida training, to get ready for the season, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, I get a call because obviously my buddy was still in talks with her, mm. and she basically set him up, which ultimately set me up, you know, after, you know, later on after I hear all the tapes and stuff. And um, and it was like, you know, I, I ended up calling a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And then my lawyer was like, look, he said, hey, don't call me, I'll call you. You know, basically that was it. Mm. So honestly, dude, going through my rookie year all the way through, like I never knew if, if the feds was going to be at my house, I like, that's how I lived, you know? And honestly, 
I kind of felt that, you know, one day this going to happen, it's going to come up or something's going to come out, of, you know, and it's going to be, I'm going to be done anyway. So, so I got, you always, even though you had this success, you always felt like this was looming over your oh, head. Oh, yeah, it, it did. It was. I said, it's going to happen any day. I was like, and all of a sudden, I can remember when I got back from Pro Bowl, fast forward, in uh, 2003, well, going 2004, I got back from the Pro Bowl. And I'm sitting in my, I just got a condo in, in Florida, right? And uh, went out, had a good time. And I had a call that was from my lawyer's secretary. And and I checked the message and said, Penny, it's Jamal, call me. Uh, it's urgent. I said, oh boy. <laughs> I said, here it go. So I called, I called Ed Garland. And uh, he said, uh, he said, Jamal, he said, you're about to get indicted on the four o'clock news. And I was just like, dang. And I kind of knew what it was, you know, yeah. whatever. But, and it got, you know, it happened. And then I flew back in here and turned myself in and, and did all of that or whatever and kind of find out, you know, what it was, you know, because I didn't even know what it what it was. What, what am I actually, you know, and then that's when everything came out as far as what had happened on the other end. And that's where you got a conspiracy. Mm. It was between three people, you know. Mm-hmm. So basically everything started from that Houston's where she basically set that up. The girl set that up and feds were there or whatever. And they paint the picture as I'm introducing them. And, you know, later on, come to find out, you know, just um, I was talking to a, a, a fed and he was saying, he said, man, I was in the office today that did Mike Brown, who is the actual uh, uh, prosecutor who prosecuted me. He came into the office and he he was new from from Miami and and pulled all the files. Told him to pull pull all files on everything that's been going on. And he saw my file and he said, "Get me everything on that." And then he basically just brought it up and brought it out. And that's why, if you notice. When did I find out about any court dates? It was on Sunday night football or Monday night football. Mm-hmm. Like it was all about, it was all about prohibiting you. It was all about publicity yeah. for him yeah. more than anything else, right? And um, you know, I went through the process, and then going through that that next season, I was I had to fly back in town after games, go meet with my lawyer, and and, and go through all this process of what we're going to do, how we're going to approach this, and. You know, I really had nothing to hide. I had nothing to hide, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just really one of them things where what I got, what I got, what I went to jail for was a tape that there was no sound on at all because the girl said that she put the, the recorder in wrong. And that actual tape really is what she said this is what he said mm. that's what i ended up getting prosecuted for and uh but i but i owned up because with me it was more of hey look i can go serve 4 months in prison and then and and and, and art model had my back paul tagliabue had my back ozzy newsom had my back brian billick had my back and they was like look we know who you are we know your character we know you didn't have nothing to do with this you, you good. Your job is good. You don't have to worry about anything like that. You're going to get suspended for four or five games or whatever, but you're good. 
And I said, look, you know, I got a family to take care of. And um, that's what was more important. So I, 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 I took it. I just took it, really, instead of fighting it. And the crazy part about it is going to the going to the going to court and and the first thing that the judge said was that because of the the the, the United States government, their witness, which was this girl that set me up, this witness wasn't a credible witness. So it probably would have got thrown out, you know, mm. at the end of the day. So, yeah. but but I took I, I just bit the bullet and just owned up and I said, hey, look, all right, as long as I'm, I'm gonna go go away for four months while off season, I'm gonna be able to come back by the time the season start anyway. So I'll take it, and that's just what I did. And then I promise you, the last day of my probation, Mike Brown ended up becoming a defense attorney. The last mm. day, wow. so it was mainly man. I just saw it as look, this is a learning lesson. Yeah. And, you know, you got to watch who you associate yourself with uh, because it's really not about what you did. It's about who you're with and who you're around, you know. Yeah. And I learned from that, and I think that was the biggest biggest thing I took away from it. And I think that God just really sat me down, you know, for them four, four to six months, sat me down. I got a chance to regroup because I was living in in the fast lane and having a great time. And I think it was more about, hey, look, you know, this can all be taken away from you just like that. So I got out and then got back on track, man, and and uh, and it finished off a, a great career. Man, that's 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 a heavy story, man. We we you know talking a little bit before we got behind the mask, man. And, and now that you, you're talking about that story, I rec- I recall it now. But for every for the, for the little ones that's out there, that's that that will tune in. That's a story about perseverance, like overcoming yeah. obstacles. Mm-hmm. So once you met that adversity, how did you continue to move forward and still have another successful six to seven years in the league? It it was honestly, dude, it was like, hey, look, man, like I got to, I had to learn from it. Like I said first, I had to learn from it. And it was really understanding why, like why am I in this position? Mm-hmm. And I saw it as, Hey, look, I am from the inner city. Um, I grew up in 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 a, in a, in a low-income neighborhood, low-income area. My friends were all drug dealers, and I hung out in, 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 in projects, and these were my friends, you know? Mm. But at the same time, I always felt that, you know, Jamal Anderson, um, a lot of these guys played for the Falcons, you know, I didn't see um, a a Jamal Anderson rolling through Bankhead in a Mercedes. Mm. You know what I mean? I saw the Kingpin rolling through in a Mercedes, and I wanted that. You know what I mean? So my whole thing was if I had an opportunity was that I wanted to ride through the hood in in, in, in a nice car, and I wanted a kid to say, I want to be that. And he's a football player, Mm. and he's from right here where I am. But – you know, it was like, honestly, you know, I, and I, I've seen kids, you know, they want to grow up, they aspire to be a drug dealer because that's what they saw. That's who had all the money. That's who took care of the hood or whatever. So it was mainly like, hey, look, I want to be that person that gives back this way in mm-hmm. what you see. And when I did that, it turned out to be, no, you must be supplying drugs or you must be 
So therefore, the feds really came after me. It wasn't something I did. The feds came after me. That's why now I see all this police brutality and all this stuff. Man, they it, it, police brutality, it's been happening. Mm. But it's been happening in other ways where it's more of somebody like myself who mm-hmm. who who basically, it, it ain't somebody beating me down, but it's a prosecutor that can build a story and sit in front of your face like they did me and say, we know you had nothing to do with this, but we got to save face of the government. Mm. And I got to, and, and me saying, and this girl saying something about drugs, and me on the other phone saying, uh huh, okay, and getting off the phone with her. He's taking that and spending it to say, you're saying, okay, yes to everything that she's saying. And I got to sit there and say, okay, all right, that's, that's, that's what that means, you know, and all, and just take that. Um, but, you know, just to these kids out here now, it's like, just watch who you're around and just know that just because you don't have something to do with anything or whatever, it's, it's, it's really who you're around. So make sure you think before you act and make sure that you just putting yourself in the best situations and making good decisions because your decisions, you know, have consequences. Mm-hmm. So just know whether it's a good one or a bad consequence, just know that there is a consequence and you got to think about that beforehand. So am I saying that I am just totally innocent and this, that, and the other? No. You know, I shouldn't have been around drug dealers when I got a $35 million contract. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and honestly, the same person that was the guy that 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 helped take care of me, and you know, I used to go sit down with a whole trap full of drug dealers, and and they used to feed me at Golden Corral, and I was just a football player. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I, that's how I used, I used to eat, you know, or whatever, you know, with these guys and break bread, but. I didn't sell drugs or whatever, but I'm still associating myself with that, and I'm still around that lifestyle. So you got to think, and you can't just go putting yourself in those positions. And you know what? Own up to it. You know what I mean? Because, you, you know, you, you got some part to do in it. You got you played your role in it. And I, I feel like I did play my role in it, and I owned up to it, and I learned from it. All right, J. Lou, man, we didn't talked about perseverance, your competitiveness, your greatness. I got I got something for you, man, that you may not remember. Jamal Lewis, Private Reserve, number 31, Celebrity Pool Tournament, March 19th, 2004. Yeah. A cigar. You gave out to all your <laughs> guests. I don't smoke cigars, but I kept this in my nightstand because this is right after your your uh your 2000 yard rushing season and I was like this man had a a pool tournament I was invited we got both drafted in 2000 I said I'm going to keep this <laughs> and I had it in my nightstand we got you on the show on the behind the mask podcast and I still have this bro that's that's not that's crazy. this is this is crazy look that it's, is, it spices is a, a cigar crazy. smoker yeah but so it's like, good and it's still, it's still good though. I know no <laughs> what do you call it no humidity what do you humidity humidifier yeah whatever humidifier there you go god I don't know I don't I don't smoke cigars I don't know he's a aficionado he's a aficionado you know what I'm saying but, crazy though but but one do you wow. still do you still shoot pool and then also i know you got the little ones now so what what 
Do you teach them football, pool? What like what, what, what you got going, man? What, what? Man, I do not shoot pool anymore. No? You know, it's it's hard to find a pool table. You know, in a, in a, <laughs> in a spot. Yeah. You know, especially in a spot. So, but um, but that 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 event was when I was doing my charity thing right. or whatever. And uh, honestly, man. I'm happy you even came to that because yeah, yeah. that was right after I got yeah, in the yeah, trouble. Yeah. So a lot of people fell off mm-hmm. of me at that time or whatever because of that. Um, but no, nah, but no, nah, I don't. I don't. But um, now my kids, man, they, I got my my oldest kid. You know, my oldest son. He's he's into music and acting and stuff like that. So he's pursuing something other than what dad did, mm-hmm. which you know I can't. I thought about it because I'm like, that's a waste of good DNA. You know what I mean? <laughs> like for real. You know, it's just a waste of good DNA. <laughs> but, but you know what? But I'm gonna tell you this. But I say that because my dad, my dad did the same thing to me. Yeah. You know, my dad was in real estate, and he thought that I was gonna just go into real estate. This is what I was gonna do. But I totally just went and did something totally opposite or whatever. But um. But you know he's pursuing his passion and what he want to do, you know, and I like that. And he's uh, he's passionate about it. As long as he's work at it and put the work ethic into it, I don't care. You know, do what yeah. you got to do. But that's what he's doing. So he's shooting movies right now, mm. and uh, he's actually in it and doing it. So uh, that's that's Javen. cool. Yeah, you know, so that's cool. And then my my nine year old, he's he's playing football mm. and he does sports. And uh, I was coaching. Uh, I didn't coach this year. Cause I just, you know, I just want to let him go play. You don't be that dad out there who be trying to like be over controlling and bearing, do you? Uh, when I coached, I did, and that's why <laughs> that's why I let him just go and just do his just thing this it. year. But when I am on the sideline, I do. I am coaching from the sideline. I am a sideline coach, but uh, he's doing his thing, and having fun. He's looking forward to the concession stand after practice. After practice you know? <laughs> so whatever it takes to yeah, motivate him. So right? he, oh, he's man. all good. He's doing his thing and. Uh, you know, you know, I just I don't push him to really play or whatever, but uh, but he likes it. He likes sports, so I think that he'll be that one that really plays a sport and that really goes far in it as far as he can go. But uh, but other than that, man, I just stay busy. I got a uh, trade show exhibit company, so I basically go in and design trade show exhibits and fabricate and build trade show exhibits. So uh, any company going into a trade show. Uh, I basically build the booth. So mm-hmm. if you ever been to a trade show, mm-hmm. you know, I build the booth small, big, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, but we custom, custom, I do more custom builds uh, for companies like T-Mobile, Google, uh, Fabulous, was a big cabinet company. Um, but we got, you know, probably over 100 different clients that we just go in mm-hmm. and we, we build for. But uh, that's what I do now and just travel. And still do stuff with the Ravens and do some appearances and stuff like that. But other than that, you know, that's that's pretty much it, man. Just try to stay busy. You went on record, and um, after you were done playing, saying that you suffered from uh, some of the concussions that were sustained throughout your career. You was a bruising tight back. I had to face you two times a year, and I know the style and the effort that you brought when you played the game. I hear you talk about your sons. And now that we know everything about what comes from playing football, the CTE, knowing the possibility that, hey, you and I played for a long period of time and the way that we played the game, it's a good chance that we all may have it, you mm-hmm. know, once we get ready to depart. 
with you having that information, I want to ask you this. Do you think, not even do you think, uh, you mentioned one of your sons, he plays football. How did you have that conversation with him after the fact of knowing everything? What were your emotions about it? Did you want to pull him? Did you continue to let him play? What What was your thought process through that, just knowing the damage that comes along with the game? Well, my oldest did play earlier on. And then after all that happened, I was kind of, you know, unsure. I was really unsure, but I wanted to make it his decision to play because if he wanted to play, he could play. I wasn't, I wasn't just going to hold him out just because of that. But, you know, later on, the reason why I let my nine-year-old play, and he's been playing since he was seven, was because the the NFL, you know, the game within itself made a bit a change, you know. So what's the best time, like, to let your kid play football is now because it's safer pretty much than it's ever been, right? Right. And plus, you know, football has taught me so much. And, you know, I just I just think that it was to me growing up how I did grow up. It was a it was a um, a relief. You know, it was a way for me to go out and and let out all of the stresses and everything else, because I can go out there and hit somebody. I can go run. I got, you know, people cheering for you, this and the other. So it was a it was a rush for me, you know, and it was a rush and a relief at the same time. So um I just, you know, think from a safety standpoint, I think it's safer than it's ever been. And I try to teach them, you know, how to play the game safe, play it fast, and and just, you know, what to expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, man, I just, there's nothing, you know, and, and people that haven't played the game or haven't been into entertainment or anything like that, you know, you, you know the rush that you get from going out in front of 75,000 people mm-hmm. and them them screaming your name and, uh, you making a big play, and and the focus is on you, you know. So, I, I wouldn't mind them actually being able to experience that one day, you know. So, that's uh, that's it. Do do you think you would let your kids do all the stuff off the field as well? You know what I mean? Like 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 all the experiences that you had. How would you say? You know what? This is this was my life. This is what I did. But no, you don't do this. Or yes, you do do that. Well, yeah, you know, I think that, you know, even if you can go out and, and, and be successful at anything, you know, just do these things different. You know, hey, you can use, you know, just like having a big brother, you know, you took what your brother did and you kind of said, okay, he did this wrong. And then you go back and you do things different, you know. So I just say, you know, you can go and look it up, you know, and, and you know, it, it's an open book on my life and what I've been through. Uh, but at the same time, you know, like take care of yourself, you know, live life to the fullest and enjoy it because it's short. But at the same time, you know, um, you know, make it quality, you know, make it make it quality mm-hmm. versus, you know, just wasting time, you know, or whatever, because you can have a lot of money. But at the same time, what I figured out from the NFL is money is not what I left it with. You know, mm-hmm. I left it with relationships. Right. You know, I left it with relationships. I left it with, uh, you know, knowledge in dealing with adversity, you know, and and how you can be down by 21 points and yeah. you can come back and win that game. You know, uh, you know, it's a lesson in that, you know. So that's kind of what I left it with, and that's kind of how I would approach them is, you know, don't just look at the moment and what you're in. 
It's what you can take from it is what's most important. Would you tell them to look out for their friends as well? Because I'm going to tell you a story about one of my friends, a guy named Jamal Lewis. <laughs> used to work out with him. Oh, had, uh, give me some dirt, you man. You know what I'm saying? Got the dirt. Give me some dirt. So off-season, we training. We working out, you know, getting ready for the, for the, for the season coming up. We do kickboxing. Guy named Steve Urea. You know, we doing, I'm doing kung fu kicks and all of that. We 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 ninjas, 300 pound ninja. So after my workouts, I like to lay on the mat because I'm tired for 30, 45 minutes. They're like, two, come on, we're gonna go eat. Nah, I'm laying, laying down, right? So because I, I I lay down and listen to my body, if I don't do that, think my equilibrium is off. Your Leave, equilibrium is equi- off. All off. Leaving kickboxing. In Buckhead, I hop in the car just to get and you know go where I'm going, go back to the crib. I don't see a car turning. I'm in the wrong lane. I look up. I say, "Damn, I'm in the wrong lane." I try to turn. Boom! <laughs> I have an accident. Right. So I'm sitting on the side of the road. I'm telling the lady, "Like, look, I'm so sorry. It's my fault. Totally my fault. I play in the league. I don't want no issues. I'll pay for whatever you know your damages are." But as I'm standing on the side of the road, one of my friends. Jamal Lewis <laughs> comes out of out of training with us and is driving by. So he sees me on the side of the road, fender bender. I'm like, hey man, you know, you know, he's like, two, you good? I said, yeah, I think so. Alright. Why you left me, man? <laughs> hey, you, hey, look, I think you was just a little startled a little bit. But I, I asked him, was he good? I asked him, was he, I asked you, was you good? And you said you was good. So I'm going to let you handle your, handle your business right there. But he was dizzy. He was, because he didn't tell you, I saw him walking out of the gym. And he's like, whew, you know, whatever. He sat in his car. Yeah. And then he done took off. But he was dizzy trying to make that, take, take, making that turn. You know, oh, but uh, he's a little lightheaded. But you said you was good, man. Hey, man, you can't be leaving your boy on the side of the road, man. I, 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 hey, look, it won't happen again. I can tell you that. <laughs> no, it won't, huh? <laughs> hey, before I let you go, man, we always got to touch on a, 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 a common subject. I won't even say it's common, but it's common this time of the year with the trade deadline in the NFL. Uh, you see a lot of guys are uh, now much more expendable. I, I remember when we were playing, teams really didn't make a trade throughout mm-hmm. the year. They just wouldn't do yeah, it. They were, yeah. they were not willing to give up future draft picks. Jamal Adams, cornerback for the New York Jets, LSU product, uh, he came out and said he was upset because he felt like the Jets were trying to shop him. He said – the reason why he was upset because you should never tell a guy that you are the cornerstone of a team that you won't be moved. And then you negotiate terms with three with other teams three days later. He said, but now he's at peace with it. It's all love. He was actually upset because he also went to the media and said, I don't see new England Patriots shopping around Tom Brady. Uh They wouldn't shop the the Rams wouldn't shop around Aaron Donald, and he felt as if he was in that same company. Uh, I do believe he is a very good football player. Uh, one day he will be become a great football player. We know the business side. It's one thing to actually be in it, but it's another thing to be out of it and see the business side. What's your thoughts on his comments 
And we all know, and just understanding, like, it's a business. But he's feeling a certain type of way because he was pretty much their lottery pick a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that, you know, is sometimes you get that, that eye opener and that um that that uh that reality check. And I think that's what he got <clears throat> is that reality check right then. Um and you can't emotionally tie yourself to an organization mm. because you love the game of football. And I had to learn that too. You can't emotionally tie yourself there, right? And you definitely can't compare yourself to somebody else's product. You know, you can't do that. Don't compare yourself to somebody else's product. But at the same time, you know, I think that all these guys should, should look at that and, and, and take note that, hey, look, you know, don't emotionally tie yourself to this team because this team is not emotionally tied to you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do your job, do it great, and and be who you are and just know that, hey, look, they're going to come a time where it's going to be more money out there on the table and guess what? You're going to leave that team to go where that money is. You're not going to take less because you, you're emotionally tied to this team or whatever. So, you know, it is a business. And I think that this is a reality check for him. And, um, you know, he just need to, you know, learn from that. It seems like he did. I'm happy he made that last statement because it seems like he got it. You know, yeah. he understand it now, you know. And I think that a lot of these young guys need to understand that too, that these teams don't care nothing about you. Right. Uh, they care about what you can do for them today, mm. you know, today. But, um, you know, the future is not promised to you with these organizations. Hey, that's where it's at. I, I think we can right drop there. the mic on that one. There it is. There it is. Yep. Much appreciated, bro. Anytime you want to come through behind the mask, Behind the Mask Podcast. We love to have you, man. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I appreciate y'all reaching out. Hey, yeah, man. Anytime, man. Anytime, bro. Yeah, family. My man. Listen, right on. Yep. I'm, I'm hurting for my birthday last night. Oh, is it, bro? Man, happy if, birthday. If you birthday, see me on the bro. side of the road, just don't leave me. <laughs> <laughs> just don't leave me. I won't. I won't. I won't. Well, honey. Yep. Let's go behind the mask. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.